This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome, everybody, to You've Got to Be Kidding Me for September 2002. I'm Jared Kidney, and I'm joined, as always, by my brilliant co-host, Liam Jones. Liam, as you are now a year older, how are you doing? I am a year older and a year wiser, Ah. for sure. You will be spending more of this year of your life spending watching TNA than you have spent any other year of your life, so I'd imagine it's going to be the best year of your life, right? It's going to be a year of my life. I mean, maybe it won't be. God forbid. (laughs) Maybe it won't be a year of my life. We we do have to discuss planning if one of us die and how the podcast continues. I assume we call in Sean Cedar or Kelly, or they replace both of us and they just continue on because <laughs> one of us can't can't bother to go on by ourselves. Yeah, the grief the grief will be overwhelming. Um, we'll have yeah. to, we'll also have to discuss the Patreon revenue, of course. Well, it goes one hundred percent to the original member, the, the, to the surviving member of the team. Surely. Well, we could we could, could put half into a fund in the name of the person who died. <laughs> no, I, I like to, I like to think I like to think of it as a, a waiting game. Wait, yeah, you're just waiting for me to die. Yes, because I'm younger. <laughs> Plan all along. But, but, but it's we make we jest about it now, and it's like one day, God forbid, it like all blows up to like an obscene level, and it's like actually a large amount of money. It's like, oh no, <laughs> we signed the contracts early on. You must contribute half of it toward my children. <laughs> mm. You must contribute it to. Oh, fuck, I'd rather you just have it. I got no one and nothing. Well, to be fair, neither do I. That's the reason I said, children? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I'll give it to Ken. Yeah, my brother Ken. Yeah, why not? He can have all the money. At least you got you got siblings to dedicate it to. That's true. I suppose I do too, but it's... No, I don't want to say it's strange. Strange seems strong. Just not... This is not TNA. (laughs) This is just too personal. Taking a sudden and personal turn. (laughs) I know. Well, well. To be fair, we talked about birthdays, which inherently is a door opening up to a personal topic, I guess. Yeah, and leads us inevitably toward death, which is what all birthdays do. Because <laughs> we're both just full of pessimism. Yes, we are people inevitably marching toward our our doom and demise. It's fun. It's a good time. Mm. I mean, yeah. The, the only point just survive long enough, I guess. Mm. Did you have a nice birthday? Yeah, it was fun. We just got out of lockdown in time. Oh, that's good. Got to actually do some stuff. And so we're basically, well, we do still have some restrictions, but we're not quite in lockdown anymore. And it's like, we're never going back into lockdown. That's a thing that's pretty clear. <laughs> so it's like, cases yeah. are rising every day, but we're not going back into lockdown because we will head them off with vaccination eventually. One will hope. But it's just like, nah, we're not doing it. <laughs> Imagine being vaccinated. <laughs> not me. <laughs> I'm only half vaccinated. <laughs> Could you send the other one to me? I think I've already said this. I'll, I'll still take it. <laughs> no. My vaccine. No, it'll be like 90% vaxxed each. It's fine. No. I want to be 100% vaxxed. Oh, Mr. has to be 100% vaccinated. Though to be fair, it's probably it's not 100%, is it? It's like 97% or something. I want to be 97% vaxxed. <laughs> it's only 7% more <laughs> better than the one vaccination. <laughs> I want it. It's mine. Yeah, you, you get to have a whole 7% increase. I get to sit on zero instead of 90. It's quite selfish of me, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm very greedy. What else has been going on? in the, what's, what's been happening in the news? Um, not much. Olympics is still going on. Um, I believe we discussed it on... Oh, we, did we get a, we get a, a, a tally update? 
Yeah, because we discussed it on, I think, the Patreon. Which one? It was the one of the either Watch Along or the uh, Monday War Games. We I think talked it was about the Watch Along. So, yeah, we won a gold medal in the rowing, which is nice. We actually won a gold medal. <laughs> It's always nice to win medals instead of not win medals because it's our first. It's the first men to win medal, a gold medal in Ireland since from since uh, nineteen ninety two. Michael Carruth in the boxing. Mm-hmm. We have ten. Oh, Mrs. Mister, we have ten over here, and most of them are just your one Titmus winning all of them in the swimming. <laughs> yeah, it's just what we do. I'm very good at. Swimming. I watched some field hockey the other day. Oh, we're okay at field hockey, except in this Olympics where we've been actually quite bad at field hockey. And the game I watched, we beat Japan in the women's field hockey. Yeah, it's the Australian women and the Netherlands women are are the field hockey kings or queens. Oh, queens. I was never able to play field hockey because uh, we did it in PE in school once. And like it requires you moving the stick back and forth because you can't hit it with the same side of the stick twice. You always yeah. have to hit it with the other side of the stick. And my brain just could not wrap itself around that concept. But you just move it over the ball. Yeah, but my brain could not... <laughs> wrap itself around this Like, you concept. don't even have to, like, move the stick around. You just go up, over, up, over, over, over. What about my total lack of coordination being unable to understand this idea do you not understand here, Liam? I played it a little bit. Not a ton, but, um, it was fun. We had a, a field hockey field at our school grounds, so. Like an AstroTurf field, which had a soccer and a field hockey field. Yeah, we had, we also had a, quote-unquote, astroturf field which is really just a pit at the back of the school we were pretty good about that kind of stuff we had um basketball courts cricket cages long jump sand pit you had a long jump sand pit yeah it wasn't like a great one but it was one like when we were younger it was pretty good but like it got no upkeep on it so it kind of just turned into a big sand pit actually now that i think of it i think we also had a long jump sand pit (laughs) yeah it wasn't it wasn't like a good quality one it was just a pit and the problem is like I guess it's like with Americans too, like when they have their football field, it's like, that's a lot of space. Mm. And like the same thing with an AFL oval, that's a lot of space that you need to have to have an AFL oval on the back of your school. Yeah, we actually had two pitches. We had one like soccer pitch and a GAA pitch across the road. So I can't, I can't give out. Our school was relatively well equipped as well. And as soon as I left my school, uh, they got like a full gymnasium set too. They had like an indoor one, which they mostly used for, um, like it very occasionally was sports, but it was mostly for like uh, uh, announcements and devotion because mm. it was a religious school. But um, And uh, any theatre performances. But then they added like a full basketball gymnasium like the year I left. Yeah, we had one of those too, but a few years after I left, the roof got blown off it. Um, in a storm, <laughs> literally. I was in a house that had the roof blown off of it once. That sounds terrifying. It was. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> There's a lot of you dying on this podcast so far. I'll tell you, oh, this is what the story was, right? Um, I was at my grandparents, and they used to, they um, had a, a house that they built that was um, like on stilts kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Like it was up off the ground. Um, mostly because like they lived through flooding, so they were like, yeah. And uh, I remember I was in their lounge room, and probably watching Naruto. <laughs> and uh, it was really windy, like really, really windy, right? And suddenly all of the boards on the floor like started going up like a giant, uh, like a dome like came out from under it, right? Mm-hmm. So like, so it was like a foot up or from where it normally would be. And I'm like, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> <laughs> so I ran into the kitchen where my um, grandfather was and as like... He, we both were like, oh, things are getting weird right now. Uh, the roof started to tear off piece by piece. 
and yeah like a solid chunk of the roof like uh in the like, the kitchen area just was gone and it was a uh, like a mini tornado that ran through did you get blown away with it uh yes i died that day we've never had a tornado so i've never had a tornado warning well we didn't have a t- <laughs> never had a fucking tornado warning either just the tornado just a regular old tornado show up yeah it was just wind that turned into a tornado for a brief second and it just happened to be over our house well you're in the middle of twister have you ever seen twister I have not seen Twister, Ugh. but then um, for like the next six years, I had a, a real big fear of uh, wind. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Well, how does a fear of wind manifest itself? Well, when you hear that there's a lot of wind outside, you go, oh, fuck, the roof might blow off. <laughs> You're walking outside and like there's a sudden gust of wind and you hide under a tree, which is probably not a good place to hide. I wasn't afraid of a breeze. I don't know. I was, I was afraid of gale force wind. Well, to be fair, being afraid of gale force wind is probably quite wise. It's all quite wise. The world is a horrible place that tries to destroy you. I didn't like storms for a long, long time. Now I don't give a shit, but for a long, long time, storms really freaked me the fuck out. Would you, like, just hide under your bed and cower? Um, no, but I, I definitely had, um, earplugs. Oh. Because the sound would just give me, like, terrible anxiety. I guess that's understandable when your roof gets blown off. Mm-hmm. And then, not to mention, that night that it happened, like, I got picked up and taken home. And then my parents abandoned me in the house to go back to the the location where shit went down to help out. But then they left me in a house alone with gale force wind going outside. (laughs) (laughs) And and I was in there like, what the fuck? Uh, That probably really reinforced the fear then. Yeah, right? And it was and it was only, like... At that point, it was, like, 11pm. So it was, like, the dead of night at this point. Because, like... I was watching Naruto, so it had to be at least Toonami. <laughs> Toonami-era uh, time period for Cartoon Network. So, yeah, it was about, like, 11, pitch black. I'm, I'm just sitting in my house as this wind's happening after I had this traumatic experience. Well, everyone knows when you have a traumatic experience, you have to reinforce and internalize the trauma instead of dealing with it. Yeah. I should have just gone out there and sat in the wind all night and, be, and like, just defeated it right there. I believe that's what a Naruto character would have done. Yeah, true. Well, you, well, what would you know about Naruto? <laughs> hey, I've watched 30 episodes and still play for Crunchyroll. To be fair, you did get through a lot of it. We watched a decent amount of Naruto, I'll have you know. Hey, you know, if we, if we like, do Naruto reviews behind the paywall, you can write it off as a tax thing. <laughs> that's true. I could write off my freaking Crunchyroll as a tax. <laughs> there you go. Coming soon, we'll do every 10 episodes of Naruto, <laughs> we'll review it. <laughs> Just to help with my tax, nothing else. Yeah. And to actually make us do it, I suppose. Alright, we've done 10 minutes of bullshit, we can move on to the TNA now. Yeah, enough of Liam's childhood dramas, let's actually move on to... <laughs> this is just my therapy session. Let's move on to Liam's adult traumas caused by TNA wrestling. <laughs> These shows, yes. We are talking about September 2002, which was an interesting month for TNA because they only ran two shows, so this will probably be a relatively shorter show. Um, as usual, if you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash kiddingme, where you can get access to our show notes, access to our star ratings, access to written reviews, access to a watch-along of NWA TNA pay-per-view number 13, which we'll also talk about today, and a... Um, Naruto reviews and if you want Naruto reviews we'll do Naruto reviews as well as uh, the Monday War Game series where we talk all about uh, the 2010 Monday Night War so all that's available on Patreon go get it three tiers well named tiers as well might I add the King of the Mountain tier you can get the Impact Zone tier you get the Dixieland tier and you know be the King of the Mountain you're you're the King of the Mountain of my heart Liam 
Wow. You're the the king of the ring. <laughs> Me. Couldn't think of another king-based thing. So to, to bring forward from last, uh, we, or the last episode, two weeks ago's episode, we were talking about how TNA, their financial investor had pulled, Health South had pulled the funding from TNA. So TNA were desperately scrambling for money, which is the reason they didn't run shows for the first basically two weeks of this month. Well, the, the second week they were never going to run a show because it would have fallen on 9-11, which would have been the first anniversary of 9-11 when 9-11 was particularly raw. So a little too soon. Yeah, that's not a period. And it was apparently like DirecTV is like, we just don't want anything violent on the airs on 9-11. So take the week off. But they also took the week before off. They did an X Division special, which we're not going to talk about. It's just a bunch of matches that already aired. I might go back and watch it, though, because I saw that there was like some interview stuff. Oh, yeah. There's little interstitials where they introduce the matches. Yeah. So um, maybe I'll go back and I'll, I'll watch that. Mm. So do you remember where you were on 9-11, Liam? Let's get heavy. Let's keep stay heavy. Childhood traumas at 9-11. Oh, that would have been probably the same year. <laughs> <laughs> All of the traumas happening at once in Liam's life. I vaguely remember it. I was also four. Mm, which is a bit too young. Yeah, I, I think I vaguely remember like seeing stuff about it on TV, but not understanding what it was. Like, I, do, I do remember like seeing it, like, coming home from school and the news being on, like seeing it and being like... I, I don't think my tiny brain could entirely process because I would have been 10, which is certainly old enough to understand what's happening, but also, or nine even, it was 2001, but not old enough to like really understand the depth of the consequences of what was happening. And I was like, what? It was, uh, it was more shock, but then I don't remember much of the aftermath or anything like that. I do remember our teacher in fifth class, like literally teaching us about Iraq to try and, like, combat all the racism and horrible stereotypes. He's like, I'm going to teach you about Iraq and the Middle East so that you're not all horrible racists towards that area. That's such an interesting dynamic for a teacher to take at the time. Yeah. That's, like, that's really interesting. That, like, they were so proactive in th- in seeing what was going to come out of this, like, kind of thing that was happening. And to be like, I need to, like, actively counteract this new wave of information that they're going to be hit with, with, like, actual fact and things that's happening. Yeah, that seems to be a good way to approach teaching, doesn't it? Yeah, like, but, like, it's just from my experience with my teachers, it's, like, never something I would have expected, like, for a teacher to make that kind of proactive decision. That's just super interesting to me. Yeah, and, like, I think it's just just because it was current that was part of it as well. It's, like, it's always in the news. So it's, like, it's, it's we're going to do this as part of, like, because in primary school, you know, the the curriculum is a lot looser than, than secondary school. So it's just, like, today mm. we're going to talk about Iraq. And he was big into Everest as well, so he'd always be talking about Everest expeditions and all that fun stuff. But, yeah, it is a good approach to teaching, isn't it? To be like, all right, let's make sure my kids aren't assholes and make sure they're not horrible racists and make sure they're not taking it out on the entire people of the Middle East for what a few people yeah. did. Like, I'm gonna, like, it, it, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's just super interesting to me. It's not something that I don't think I've ever encountered. Maybe I have and just didn't even realize it, but... Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't, maybe it's because I, I, I don't know, I don't want to blame it all on, you know, religious school, blah, 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 <laughs> but like, you know, I think they had a very, a fairly strict thing of what they were going to talk about and what they were allowed to talk about and rarely reached out beyond that. Although I did have a couple of teachers that were like, that bucked the trend a little bit, but as much as they could within the context of the school, I guess. How, how did you, were you ever thought about other religions? I, do you want to know the, the actual answer? Yeah. I never believed it. I went to a religious school from the age of six to 16. And I remember in the, my first year of being there and like we, we still had like our religious classes, right? And 
I remember like having a discussion with like the other kids and like they were all talking about it after one of our Bible classes or whatever. And I remember saying like, you don't be- like, do you believe this? <laughs> and like, then like, you know, like a lot of them, to be honest, like a lot of the, my uh, classmates ended up like leaving agnostic or atheist anyway. But I remember at the time, like they were like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I had like this very internal struggling moment where I was like, yeah, but I don't. <laughs> Like, I, I just, I don't think any of this is real. I think it's stories. Were you, like, the only one that's, like, am I the only one that sees this? I, well, like, no, it wasn't that because I didn't even feel, like, comfortable expressing it. Mm. Because, like, you know, all the teachers were religious. And, like, apparently at that point, all of my classmates, like, believed it as well. So I was like, oh, God, am I, like, just some weird dude who doesn't get it? <laughs> You're the one guy in the cult who sees through the cult. Apparently at the time, but... Yeah, and then, like, uh, you know, like I said, like, by the time it all wrapped up, everyone had already gone through it. But to go back to, like, to the question that you're talking about, um, I think the first time we learned about other religions would have been... I mem- I have one memory of, like, we, like, briefly, like, had, like, one lesson on, like, hey, man, so, Judaism is <laughs> a thing. <laughs> and then, like, that was it. I don't, I don't think that like, we ever went into any of the other religions at all. I think we, like, yeah, we had, like, one class where we learned about, like, Jewish history... And, like, maybe some, like, you know, the Nazis were a thing, guys. And then that was about it. <laughs> so you had one class where they're just, like, mentioned offhand, oh, by the way, Jesus was actually Jewish, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> well, because also, like, it wasn't even, we weren't even, like, a Christian school. We were a Lutheran school. Hmm. So, like, it went a whole nother level to it. it. Doesn't seem like a particularly healthy way to approach teaching of religion. Our religion classes weren't, they weren't, like, classes designed to teach us about religion. <laughs> they were, like... A lot of the... Actually, after grade seven, they basically just turned into, um... Uh, here's a free session to work on whatever schoolwork you had. From, like, grade six and below, it was, it was like, actual, like, studying Bible passages or whatever. But, like, yeah, once we hit seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever, they were like, you got more important things going on right now. Maybe we'll, like, mention something in passing or, like, we'll do the thing where we go into, like, the Holocaust <laughs> briefly. And remember, like, even in our history classes, it was never... Like, we never delved into any of that kind of stuff. Like, we had enough of, like, Australia's whitewashing to deal with. We didn't have to go into the world's things. Because I, I actively, like, chose to do religion in secondary school. Because religion was a compulsory subject for us when from when we were, like, 12 to 15. But then not after that. You can do it as an exam subject after that. And I was like, I enjoy this. I'm going to do it as an exam subject. Mm. But then that's actually, like, legitimately teaching religion. Teaching you about Buddhism and Islam and all the fun religions of the world. And, like, the, the, there's, a, like, a whole morality side of it over here, which is actually quite interesting when they talk about morality and, and philosophy. That, uh, yeah, it's a, good, it's a good little subject. People should do it in school. It's actually quite interesting. Especially if they teach you more than the one that you're teaching. That's true. Especially if they're not just, like, there's one religion and there's a bunch of other ones, but they don't count. They're not real. That was really the attitude of it, I felt. Like, I think I have a vague memory of one of my teachers going, well, p- other people believe other things, but, like, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, I remember, like, as a kid, I was, like, very hung up on death and, like, what happens after death. Which is funny, because, like, that, that probably came with the, the nihilism of not being religious at all, you know? Uh, it's the combination of not being religious and having near-death hurricane experiences. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the... It probably was a, bit, a bunch of that, but it's, like, I remember, <laughs> like... Yeah, well, because like, you're surrounded by it and you're told this one thing and it's like, well, what if I don't believe that thing? That leaves a whole big doubt in the back of my mind now. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I, I go into our school pastor and I was like, hey, man, 
what what happens when you die? I'm, I'm kind of hung up on this at the moment. And he's like, well, you believe in the, the word of the Lord? And I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't have the heart to say, nah. <laughs> so he's just like, ah, so you, you'll be fine. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I left that meeting way worse off than I went in there. I like that. It's like, you believe in the word of the Lord? And if you're like, yeah, but no, really, what happens when you die? <laughs> Yeah, but like, I get the bit, but like, what's the actual answer here? For real, though. But yeah, you know, I, I, I do like religion as a topic of discussion. It's just, I don't know if I subscribe to it. Mm. I like the way that we were like, this is going to be a relatively shorter episode. So let's talk about 9-11, religion, and hurricanes. Mm-hmm. The three things that really warm people up and get people going. <laughs> so yes, as we were mentioning, uh, they didn't run an episode on 9-11. They didn't run an episode the week before on um, September 4th. So they were to come back on the 18th if they found funding, which they did. We mentioned at the end of the last episode that uh, TNA ran into Dixie, who was their publicist, and she was just like, hey, my daddy has lots of money. Maybe he'll buy the company. So they spent most of the month of September negotiating that deal. It still wasn't even signed by the end of September. So that tells you like how long and arduous the process was. On, separate, uh, on September 3rd, they all went down to Dixie's uh, house and office in... in Dixieland. Yes, literal Dixieland, the, the Panda Energy office in Texas. What about Surge Land, huh? Yeah, I'm su- I was actually surprised that like, Dixie's already married to Surge at this stage. They're, they're already the I, couple. I like Surge and Dixie. I don't know, man. We'll be seeing Surge a lot on TV. He, he's responsible for a lot of the banger theme songs we'll be talking about. He, yeah. he performs on some I, of those. I, I appreciate- what does Surge do? In TNA? In life. Like, what is? what was his job? I have no idea. He is a musician, but I don't know what he does as a job. Was he was he successful at music, and that's why he was like chosen for this round? Or I assume he was chosen because it was Dixie's husband. Yes, like you know, he's you know was did he have like a, a history in it, or was he? I don't know. Let's, we'll do a Surge retrospect. Surge, come on the podcast. Be our fifth guest. <laughs> Chad and Surge, they can come on together. They can talk to each other. Yeah, we'll rehash memories of a uh, NWA TNA episode twelve and thirteen, like mm. thirteen or fourteen. Wait, whatever. So they went down to the Panda Energy offices in Texas. They talked to Bob Carter, Janice Carter, who is Dixie's mom, Todd, who's Dixie's Ooh, brother, Dixie, and her husband, Serge, and all of the people, the, the, the marketing director, the corporate attorney, CFO, human resources director. They sat down. They had a, a meeting in the offices where they mostly talked about, like, wrestling in general, introducing them to, like, the broader concept of wrestling, to their history in wrestling. They talked a lot about Jeff and Jerry in particular's history at wrestling, because Jerry would have worked a lot with Vince McMahon. And it, it's actually interesting to read Jerry's book, where he's just like, I'm actually quite worried that, that, that they didn't talk about our presentation. I was annoyed that we didn't get our, to our presentation as fast as we, we did. We were talking about all these other things. It threw me for a loop. He was ready for, like, an actual business meeting and not... So here's what wrestling is. Yeah, it's like, so tell us about Vince. You know, what's Vince really like? You worked for Vince. <laughs> was Dixie a wrestling fan? I, like, she says she was, that she, like, she grew up and she saw, like, bits and bobs of it. And uh, I, th- I think it goes back a lot to the same thing that um, we were talking about with Richard, Richard Scrooge, where he was just like, I like Jeff Jarrett. Like, Dixie liked a mm. new Jeff Jarrett. They lived in the same apartment complex. They ran into each other. They, obviously, they then hired Dixie as years later as the, the PR for, for Impact. And, or what, mm. TNA. And... She's just, and they probably saw the opportunity. It's like, well, if we do have a successful wrestling company, AEW, if you look at it at the moment, are fire on all cylinders, selling out 10,000 seat buildings, have huge TV deals. Like, wrestling can be a lucrative business if you get it right. It's just so many people don't get it right. Uh, we, I think we mentioned that, like, Bob was a fan at some point, too. Yeah. 
So he's yeah. he's in the wrestling business, and he did say that, that oh, Jeff and Jerry, based on this product, you know the wrestling business. And I'm like dubious, but do you think the Jarretts, after like they got all this done and signed and whatever, were like these fucking idiots? <laughs> Look at we we got them wrapped around our finger. They're gonna dump all this money into TNA. We got them. Like, do you think that it was like that was the attitude coming out of it, or like, thank fucking Christ, we we made it? I think it's it's more of the latter, and I think it's more like Panda took a lot of the debt off of the heads of the Jarrets, and I think at this stage that's what they were Personal worried about. Too, right? There was like 1.6 million that they would have been liable for to Health South that ends up getting written off in the negotiations of this deal. That I think they're a great deal relieved that that they're not liable for that debt anymore. I think that's like the stage they're reaching here. It's like there's a lot of money that's going to come down on us. If this actually fails, and obviously we can declare bankrupt, <laughs> but we they, they no longer became liable for a lot of that debt. It either got written off or uh, renegotiated in the process of dealing with both Panda and um, Health South, because Health South were a, a shareholder and had a lot of money in the company, and so a lot of the negotiations were basically Panda playing hardball with Health South, where this like you invested that one point five million or one point one, and there was a, a four hundred thousand letter credit as well which they did keep on they did um they were uh responsible for the letter of credit after that but the 1.1 million that that um health south put in that they were like hey we want our money back panda are just like nah you put that in knowing the risk you should take the loss and they did end up taking the loss it ended up uh, the, the the way they negotiated it was basically panda would buy the company they would take on they would fund the tapings but they would also get 51% majority share in the company. So then that would leave the Jarrett's with 49%. And then the Jarrett's had to, to tie up a bunch of loose ends by giving Health South 5% of their cut to in exchange for the, the debt that they had and giving 5% to their lawyer as well because she threw a fit and was very upset that Panda basically wanted to cut ties with everybody the Jarrett's were working with because Panda were like, oh, your accountants, your lawyers, all of that, gone. We'll deal with that from now on. But to be fair to, to Big Bob over here, um, mm-hmm. TNA had, at this point, shown a weakness in that aspect of their production. <laughs> you know, their behind-the-scenes characters being involved in things that, you know, ended in lawsuits multiple times. Yep. <laughs> TNA is a company that is less than three months old and is already involved in, I believe, at least three lawsuits. Yeah, so it's like, you know, I can understand Panda coming in here and being like, yeah, you guys clearly can't handle this because you're fucking it up at every turn. So we'll take over that part of it too. You guys take the wrestling, we'll take everything else, which is basically what it came which down Which is to. honestly what the money should probably do, you know? Mm. Like, I don't think Bushi Road was like coming into New Japan and being like, all right, guys. Ghetto, you're in charge of legal. Jado, you're in charge of marketing. Dick Togo, come over here and you'll be in charge of human relations. Let's go. Yeah, we're going to put Toriano in charge of accounting. <laughs> yeah, like, Goto, you're the lawyer now. <laughs> I think they came in and were like, hey, you know, we have all the money and the history and the thing. We have a whole infrastructure. That's the word I'm looking for. We're going to do this right and you just handle the silly slap fights. So that, uh, that meeting on September 3rd where they went uh, went down to Texas, they, they, it seemed to end well. Like, like Bob insisted on flying them home in the company jet, even though they had already booked tickets home. Jerry took that as a very good sign that he's like, take the company jet home. If, if you're doing that for somebody, it is like a meeting that goes quite well, isn't it? Yeah, well, it also implies like you're a part of the company, doesn't it? It's like, mm. take the company jet home because you're a part of this now. I like Bob. I want to learn more about Bob. This is going to be a Bob retrospective. Yeah, Bob Carter, Wheeler and Dealer. Yeah. So they spend the pretty much the entire month of September negotiating that deal. 
as mentioned, the, the, the Health South ended up coming out with 5% of stock. Panda ended up owning 51% of the company. Obviously, these deals have not been signed by the time. Because, like, imagine, like, that must be torturous. A torturous experience to be like, all right, we're out of money. So we have to spend this entire month negotiating. And it, it seemed to be a great deal, uh, a great source of frustration for Jerry. That's like, they don't have a hand to play here. Panda have all of the power and all of, like, the, the, the leverage here. Because the Jarrett's will go bankrupt. Like, it, it will happen. Mm. If, if this deal doesn't happen. So the whole time he's like, thank God these guys are marks for the business. Because <laughs> that's the only advantage we have. <laughs> They're willing to actually put money into this thing. It, it is wild that like they found two different investors. That's that's nearly always where wrestling runs into trouble. Like finding actual people willing to put their money where their mouth is. And fair enough, Hell South very quickly were like, uh, we're no longer putting our money where our mouth is. But then they found Dixie. Like as a stroke of luck through a, a Jeff Jarrett connection uh-huh. that became... Uh, stroke. I, I see what it, their wordplay, but like a, a stroke of random luck that this this person that he knew from an apartment complex and then hired as his PR manager ended up just being like the source of a great deal of wealth. It's a good representation of how business really works, isn't it? It's like you can go and do the schooling and do it all. Like that's never going to be more worthwhile than just knowing the right people mm. and building the right relationships with these people. That's going to get you further than like anything else. Yeah, any know-how or any ideas. You just have to have enough yeah. people willing to give you enough money until it works. But it's not even, like, not even, like, necessarily, like, yes, but, like, it's not even necessarily the money. It's, like, just knowing the people in the positions who can actually do the stuff, you know? Hmm. From all levels, not even just, you know, the wrestling business. I think it's really interesting that, like, at least at the start, with like, and as you can see on the, the show notes, if you're a Patreon subscriber, how quickly things were happening every day for this company. Like, there was something new going on. It's like, shit, there's a new problem or there's a new thing. There's a new solution. There's a new discussion. It's just constantly happening. September was a big year for them. Big year, big month. Felt like a year. And yeah, because especially because like they were nego- actively negotiating this deal throughout the entire month. So as I said, there was the September three meeting, and then there was all of the details. And then every time they'd have to go back to Health South and be like, "Well, because Panda were originally like, we'll give them one hundred fifty k, and that's it." And uh, Health South were like, eh, "No, they were owed one point one million, and eventually the Health South settled for taking five percent of stock instead." But yeah, they're like going back and forth between all of those, going to Panda being like, this is what Health South said, and Panda being like, no, that's not good enough, take this to them instead. And like the Jarrets are just this good, like ping pong ball go between between these people trying to sort all this out, trying to get the like all of the, the, the parties that have a financial interest in this company at this stage sorted out and dealt with so that Panda can actually buy the company and have a controlling interest and not have all these hangers on that they have to deal with. And yeah, it is like fascinating. As a like Jerry's book is a fascinating like like a business startup book as much as it is a pro wrestling book, where they're trying to get this thing off the ground and get this this thing ready. And it's like written in real time. It's his diary at the time. That's the format of the book, which I think makes it very interesting because like there's some days where it's just like September fifth. I had a nice breakfast and, and had a, a good rest today. It was a good day. And then some days they're like, eh, you know, we uh, had this horrible day of negotiations. It was the worst day of my life. We went back and forth between Panda and Health South 75 times until we could finally iron out this deal. I am so exhausted and I still have to write a television show for this week. And not to mention, like, as I've I've been, like, somewhat perusing the what's coming up in the rest of the month. And he was dealing with, like, some terrible bullshit creative the entire time, too. <laughs> Let's talk about the ger- terrible bullshit creative. Like, because I'm reading this and this is, like... <laughs> it's the worst. Some of the worst <laughs> shit I've ever seen in my fucking life. All right. 
I'm going to preface this by saying I'm reading the words of Jerry Jarrett quoting Vince Russo. So please, yeah, th- this is about <laughs> your <important>. hate towards. <laughs> So September 13th, you're mentioning, where he's like, he's faxed over a couple of pages from the September 18th show from Vince Russo, in which, quote, Russo had a storyline that had Brian Lawler accusing Jeff of raping Brian's girlfriend. The girlfriend then comes out and explains that it was not Jeff and the sex was not rape. A black wrestler, Elix Skipper, then comes out and says it was he that had sex with the girlfriend and then says something like, once you go black... You never go back. Russo also had Brian and Elix cast as a tag team. <laughs> That's just like... <laughs> it's, it's so clear from like hearing how Jerry is writing about this stuff that he fucking hates Vince Russo. He does. You'll get better quotes about it in later months. He cannot stand Russo and he cannot stand his fucking ideas. This is not the wrestling that one Jerry Jarrett wants to be involved in. Because there's a whole section after that that goes into they had a like a clear the air meeting with Russo where they talked about the creative direction and all that after this just utterly horrific idea on so many levels. But <laughs> and then he comes back a week later with another fucking great idea. Vince pitched an idea involving Truth, our NWA champion, and a KKK character. After about five minutes of his presentation, I interrupted him to advise that I did not like it and we needed to move on. Do you think, like, Vince is like, Hey, bro, <laughs> Jeff, your dad's ruining everything. He won't let me have my great ideas. Vince did that same routine in WCW, or it's like standards and practices are ruining everything by cutting off shit like this. It's like, you can't just do a wrestling show, can you? No, you have to, like, like oh, God. He's like the epitome of Spike TV, isn't he? <laughs> just, ugh. What a, like, a, what, uh, just a horrid, horrid creative mind it's just he's the worst like lowest common denominator shock value at all times that's what this is built on that's all he knows and it's like he can't build interesting characters even though like he's not a bad writer you know in terms of like skits he can write like decent comedy sometimes but then he just writes all of this instead because he has this brain that he apparently can't turn off and it has to constantly pester him about horrible ideas like the KKK and making light of rape to make weird race jokes. He reminds me of like like one of these like Joe Rogan type stand-up guys. Mm. One of these like dude bro stand-up guys. And I would even I wouldn't even compare him to Rogan to be honest. <laughs> even Rogan's got some like decent stuff. I just don't even, oh, I don't even want to talk about Vince Russo, man. He just annoys me. Well, you're on the wrong podcast then. You're going to have to mention it for a while. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll start to become accustomed to it. Yeah, there's there's some better um, Vince Russo burials in later months that I'm excited to get because, as you said, Jerry is still in the phase where he's like, obviously he sees he's just woeful ideas. But Jerry's the only guy that I'm like on the team of. <laughs> like I'm rooting for Jerry Jarrett. He's my hero in this story. Because there is some quotes in the book where Jerry is just like, it's a shame he didn't learn wrestling from Vince and Vince didn't teach him how how wrestling actually worked. Yeah. There's some interesting notes in the book as well about how they're doing on pay-per-view. DirecTV basically said if they're doing less than 2,000 buys a week, they won't carry them anymore. And while they were averaging 2,300 before that on DirecTV, their most recent show, which would have been the last show of September, or last show of August even, dropped to 1,350. They're doing basically less than 20,000 pay-per-view buys, probably less than that even again. If they're only doing... Like, DirecTV is one of the biggest carriers along with In Demand. And if they're only doing, like... 2300 on direct tv that tells you 
not doing particularly well. But uh, it's such an interesting... Like, I guess it goes into the whole discussion that we were talking about on one of the other episodes where it's like, does this is this format even conducive to making money at this point in history? The answer is probably no. Mm. <laughs> Based on the fact that they're drowning in debt and desperately trying to find finance. I think the answer is definitely no. Thank you, Dixie. There was an interesting note, because, like, the, the the one thing I found particularly remarkable is just how much is leaking out of this company. Like, there's all kinds of stories every single month that we talk about on this show. Just weird gossip and all this stuff. Just, just... Because they got a couple EVPs out there <laughs> leaking stories. The company is just a faucet of scoops, constantly dropping, like, weird tidbits. So on September 23rd, Jerry Jarrett held a meeting with all of the staff, the phone uh, Jeremy Borish and Bob Ryder, to talk about all the leaks, because he was very upset that it, it leaked that the Panda people were at... Well, it, it wasn't particularly Panda-named, because all that was in the media was that the, they were looking for a source of money, but they didn't know with whom. But it did leak that the, the potential investor was at the September 18th show, and they were trying to schmooze them and, and impress them. And Jerry was very upset that that leaked, because he was like, oh, I didn't want them to know that we were trying to schmooze them and impress them. I wanted them to think that it was that was the regular course of business. That was normal. Yeah, it's a good show based on its merit alone, not that it was them being like, hey, here's our best foot forward. So he called the meeting of the entire staff, and hey, was like, hey, no more scoops, no more leaking, no more like letting all of our information go on the internet. And it is interesting, uh... like legitimately, when you look at like all of the, the, the TNA notes and like PW Torch and the Wrestling Observer after that, there is a decline in scoops. It did work. I think it's because like they already had so many like people in charge that they didn't like that they, they didn't want to upset Jerry as well. <laughs> They're like, oh, he's the one guy on our side. Let's just not stooge out anymore. If it's not him, we'll all be answering the Russo, so... Yeah, exactly, right? Like, it's probably Ed Ferrara. <laughs> well, Ed's gone. Ed, son but... of a bitch. Yeah, he bounced. Yeah, and you know where the scoops started drying up, huh? <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. The timeline does add up. The last note in Jerry's book of that month is, September comes to an end tonight, and our state of affairs is more optimistic than it was last month. It looks like the panda deal will work out, Aww. which gives life to the wrestling project. I like the way, no matter how far into this book he is, he always calls it the wrestling project, as if it's just like, oh, that's my little wrestling project that I'm sticking all of my life's earnings into. Jerry seems like a nice dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. Should have taken over the Fed with the, with the, the steroid trials. <sighs> Imagine that world. Or the Jarrett's run the world. Probably be better. It'd be a global force, <laughs> you could say. Oh, it, I think that'd be gold. <laughs> oh, we, you know, what we, I think we we haven't mentioned it, but I feel like it's a, a relative thing, is that um, it came out that Jarrett was released. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was released from the Fed in April. That's a long time for him to be gone without anybody mm. noticing. Which does correlate with him, like, restating that Global Force Wrestling would be returning at some point. And him um, launching his podcast and all that to get himself back out there. I guess what we have to say is, Jeff, you want to start TNA too? <laughs> you know who to come to. <laughs> so I, I, I did include some notes about, like, what the, the media was reporting about TNA at the time. Because obviously all these negotiations are going on behind the scenes. And, and it's interesting to see that, like... People don't know a ton about it. It does eventually leak out later in the month that there is a new source of financing and that like money is there and the company will be okay. But they don't know exactly with who, so it's not like, oh, they're negotiating with this company called Panda Energy. Like the note in the Wrestling Observer is like the new source of money and with no official announcement of a deal is not a certainty as to uh, as to exactly what the official uh, as to uh, exactly what this officially <laughs> entails is said to be from is said to be from what is a huge... In- I'm trying to read Dave. I, the, the, I'm making the mistake of reading Dave Meltzer on a podcast. 
All right, so Garrett, this is what you just have to do. Read the words with no punctuation intended. Just go... Do, 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 do. That's the only way to do it out loud. I feel like I should add in a bunch of you knows just to make it authentic. <laughs> and like paper shuffling. It's said to be from what is a huge international company. Those within the power structure are giving a figure of money earmarked toward the venture at enough to keep going for years. Keep it in mind that Dave is skeptical because he hears this all the time. But it did end up happening, so no reason to be skeptical, Dave, you hater. Yeah, Dave, what are you, what, oh, you're being skeptical about money coming into wrestling? Ugh. He was like, it's close to final, but not done. Budget is around 80000 to 100000 so everybody that took pay cuts um, isn't going to get their money back. Everyone that was paid 500 and cut down to 200 or 300 is going to stay at 200 or 300 That's such a dick move. <laughs> they just got like this influx. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? It's just like, you're, you're going to get no money. We're, we, we're, we're doing fine now. Everything's fine. The company's secure. But are we going to pay you more? No. No, it's not even, are we going to pay you more? It's, are we going to bring you back to what we agreed on? No. But even even then, others are taking pay cuts. Like, Scott Hall took his, had his pay cut in half as well. So. Well, they're probably not going to, like, lift that, look that uh, gift horse in the mouse, as they say. Mouse? In the mouth, as they say. Because, like, hey, we can not pay Scott Hall what we originally said. Let's not do that. <laughs> I'm curious. Were they, from this Panda deal... Mm-hmm. Were they getting a better influx of money than their original deal with the original sponsorship? Well, they, they were certainly spending less money per taping. But you, you see, like, this is basically a bit of a reboot month where it's just like Scott Hall comes back and Buff Bagwell comes back. And a lot of the people who, like, they didn't have money for anymore, they signed Shaw Waltman, they signed BG James. So they're like, they are investing in star power. They are investing in talent. The shows are more cohesive. It's not the case anymore where they're just like, we can't book all these people because we can't afford them. People from the fucking weeds are showing up now. People who left like three weeks into the original run are like coming back. Mortimer Plumtree returning as a character on the show. I don't know who you're talking about. I was making a general statement. (laughs) But yeah, like they are running on a tighter budget, but the budget is consistent and the budget is not like desperately needing to be cut every month so there, there, there's like a consistency to it even if it's probably not as it's not as much as they were spending toward the, the early days mm. some other notes Jared denied company going out of business in an interview because people thought like the lawsuit with jay hasman and lance about was putting the company out of business they're like nah we're negotiating new terms <laughs> oh sorry nah we're probably gonna win that so <laughs> uh the office soured on the briscoes there's a fun note Boo, what a bunch of bitches i'm i'm not blaming jerry for that that was that's a jeff and uh vince thing Jerry would never. They went two minutes long in a dark match, and that, that put them in the oh, bad place. Oh, wah, wah. Another interesting note, again, the company flirting with American Dragon. The company is planning to bring in more names for the X Division, including American Dragon, Xavier, CM Punk, Cole Cabana, and Ace Steel. They did bring in CM Punk, Cole Cabana, and Ace Steel. I don't think Colt ever did a main show. He did Explosion, though. I was going to say, I don't remember Colt, but... And I, I don't think he ever did. He did some dark matches and some explosion matches, but I don't believe he did an NWA TNA match off the top of my head hmm. but yeah no still no american dragon even though his name is is thrown and bandied about it's, it's such a weird like a uh, name to be flirting with but never go all the way mm. punk and uh, steel are like i think they're a pretty obvious picks you know i like them both in tna um yeah we'll talk about them when we get to the the pay-per-view they're making their big tna debuts hmm. and like punk would be a pretty regular character on the show for the next year after that until someone else shows up <laughs> To put him in his place. An interesting note, Len Sabal w- was a- in a small lawsuit against TNA. Of course. 
Who isn't in a small lawsuit with TNA? So he, he won the lawsuit because the Jarrett's didn't show up in court. And he releases the statement <laughs> being like, this opens the way for Saval to pursue uh, recovery through normal legal means and mechanisms, including sheriff-managed seizures and liens and other methods uh, against pay recovery, blah, 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 blah. And he ends it. While the Jarrett's complaints asked, uh, asked for damages not to exceed 10 million, the victory achieved today was for a different amount. And Dave Meltzer reported in the Wrestling Observer, he won $1,900 in travel expenses that he hadn't gotten paid. Like, yeah, he releases this statement and it's like, this is a big victory in court between me and Jeff Jarrett or the Jarrett's. It's like $1,900 paying their, his travel expenses in the smallest claims court in New Jersey when the Jarrett's didn't even show up. Again, they, there's reports that the potential investors are backstage uh, at the September 24th pay-per-view as well. So uh, scouting things out. Another note, they're looking to launch a one-hour TV show syndicated for... Let's go, I'm ready. ...for the debut of Explosion. Every episode. Which I, I believe actually start, a day, does debut in this month, because Jerry mentions in his book that he is... JB is doing a show where they do, like, highlights and dark matches that they air, which is the, the beginnings of Explosion. It wasn't particularly widely syndicated at that stage, but it, it was alive and well. Are these shows uh, able to be viewed? They're not. If they were, we'd watch them. Though you were already giving out about having to watch five shows for next month, so... Yeah, but I want to watch Explosion Dark matches. <laughs> because, actually, yeah, it is very, like, AEW Dark, AEW Elevation, when you look at the names yeah. of it. I want to watch them. Because there'd always be, like, four or five dark matches with a bunch of, like, interesting Indian names, where it's just, like, Chris Hero is on these shows? Yeah, I want, I want to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best to see what I can see. And then back on the TNA Sue being sued thing, Phase 3, the company designed the JAC and NWA TNA logos. Which time? Are suing uh, Jarrett Sports because they didn't get paid money. <laughs> so. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, 
got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Oh, come on, guys. Pay your artists. What are you doing? Which is the same company that did the WCW promotional materials as well. That's it's a fun fact. So those are the most of the main headlines from September 2002. The big one, of course, being further negotiation with Panda Energy to negotiate the buyout of the company, which was, I think, more or less agreed in principle, but not quite signed and a done deal by the time this month came to an end. So we'll talk about that more next month. And then there are just some other bits and bobs that happened that month. Nothing particularly big or notable. I was just <laughs> reading the intro when <laughs> Jerry was talking about his night out on the town. With the Carters. Oh, yeah. He's just had a nice day. Yeah, they took him out for a night in the town after the September 13th show. They all took him out for a nice day, uh, to drinks and dinner, and they were all happy out. He went out and partied with Scott Hall and Sean Walton. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Hall, Sean Walton, and Brian James. They were like, they introduced them to the talent that were like the big stars. So it was Waltman, Hall, Brian, BG James, Truth, and Jerry Lynn, who were like the, the ambassadors for the company to be introduced to the, the money. I really liked that, like, who do we have that can, like, scrub up and be these perfect representations for the company? And it's, like, Scott Hall, <laughs> Sean Waltman, <laughs> Brian James. Yeah, that's that's the company these days, though. But I suppose, like, they would have all had, probably had some experience in doing this kind of thing, schmoozing the money people, working for the major companies. They're workers. That's This is what they do. Yeah. They, they can work. Well, I tell you right now, who's not there? AJ Styles. Who's not there? Amazing Red. Who's not there? Loki. It's all the workers that are there yeah. who have been in the business for 20 plus years. Who can schmooze somebody. And you know Jarrett was there too. Jeffrey Jarrett. Also doing his schmoozing. He is the ultimate schmoozer, to be fair. Yeah, you don't, I don't even know why you needed anyone else there. Just got Jeff there. We all met at, uh, is that Virago's? <laughs> yeah, Virago's, which is apparently a place in Nashville, I guess. Let me Google it. I wonder if, it, let's see if it was a, a hip uh, party destination. Virago's is a pioneer of elevated independent restaurants in, in Nashville. Virago has constantly mm. transformed throughout its 19-year history as the go. Wow. Do they tout having uh, the Carters and the Jarrett's? <laughs> the birthplace of NWATNA. Yeah. Integral to the survival of Impact Wrestling. Yeah, it's closed until five AM, so we can't um, we can't get delivery. Oh, it's a sushi restaurant. Oh, oh. I wonder what kind of sushi Scott Hall, Sean Waltman, Brian James, Ron Killings, Jerry Lynn, the Jarrett's, and the Carters had. <laughs> that's such a strange group of people going for a dinner. <laughs> that is my like. That's my ideal Thanksgiving. Like, I want all of those people, especially the Carters. Yes, well, definitely the Carters. I want to to squeeze my way into that family if I can. Bankroll your wrestling project. TNA 2. So that does bring us to NWTNA pay-per-view number 13 on September 18, 2002, held in the TNA Asylum in Nashville, Tennessee, with 700 people there, 750 people there, heavily papered. We opened the show. As I said, this is kind of like a reboot. So like, you open the show, it's Scott Hall is back, and he has Brian uh, Sean Walden with him, or Six-Pac, as he's going by on this company. And, like... There is a bunch of stuff on the show that's just like we have all these new names and a bunch of old names that you quote unquote 
liked Buck Bagwell are, are coming back and <laughs> our stories are kind of rebooting. So it, it does feel like a, a kind of reboot episode of the show. It feels like a reboot, like, time in general. The first, like, two episodes on this month, it's like, oh, we're going in a new direction now. Some f- not for the best, because, like, it's funny, like, as they were running out of money, they were putting on, like, good wrestling shows, because they just had wrestlers go out and wrestle, and now it's like, ah, we have money, we don't have to do that shit anymore. <laughs> we don't have to try, we're bankrolled. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, we opened the show with a brawl between Jeff Jarrett, or a discussion between Jeff Jarrett and Brian Lawler, where it's like, oh, that they basically, I think, blew off the angle because when Vince Russo was like, we want to do this dumb rape thing and Elix Skipper shows up, it seemed like they're like, all right, we're blowing this off. Now Brian's just an abusive boyfriend. Oh, a much more tasteful angle. <laughs> it is a much more tasteful angle of Brian being uh, just a horrible human being who, abu- again, it's just like wrestling. You do not need an abusive girlfriend story or abusive boyfriend story. We do, do not need to see like gaslighting and emotional abuse between a boyfriend and girlfriend on a wrestling show. That's just, who wants that? What does that achieve? Well, the, well, the thing is like we always talk about is like wrestling should be allowed to do these kind of topics, but it's like, there's never been a track record of them doing it well or right or with nuance, so maybe they shouldn't. Steer clear. Stay away from it. Never do it again. I do find it interesting that like, this is a reboot show, they're bringing everybody back. They don't bring back Ed Ferrara, so... I think Ed was probably like, ah, I'm out of here. I'm going to go teach creative writing or get my degree in creative writing. I don't know what he was doing at the time. Um, Jeff Jarrett is in the ring with Bob uh, Armstrong and the bullet and they do a little brawl they do a little brawly poo and the, before the, the bullet finally reveals himself Liam to be shock of all shocks it's the road dog I'm gonna be stuck with this guy for like seven years yep, he doesn't leave till 2009 so you're gonna be watching a lot of BG James over the next seven years yay like I will say during this era they probably need the star power as much star power as road the dog star provides power. Of the roadie. Yeah, he's a, he is a name, though. It's not a particularly good one, but he's a name. Sure. I'm sure there was other options out there. Was there? I don't know. None that they can get. Bring in Scott Norton. There you go. That's the solution to all the problems. I mean, literally. So, um, yeah, that, that's BG James making his big debut. He will as- associate himself with Hall and Waltman for a while. They do kind of an angle there. Again, it's it's weird because, like, the Skipper stuff, they, there's a bunch of stuff about Skipper and Lawler being together on these shows, but because they cut the big reveal about the, the horrible thing with the r- fake rape and the Skipper thing, they just end up being a team on the, on the second show for no particular reason at all. Yeah, it's like a weird Planet Jarrett is what we end up with at the end of this month. Yeah. So we get ourselves some weird stables. We're, we're into gang wars here of TNA, of course. I think um, I've decided that Planet Jared is one of the best stable names of all time. Well, the world does revolve around him. I know. It's perfect, though, isn't it? <laughs> that was a good... Like, there's a lot of talent in that stable other than Jared. Uh, and that people are just cool with being in a stable called Planet Jared. Yeah, well, to be fair, Monty eventually... Well, the, the, we'll get to it in 2006, but Monty being in that stable always annoyed the hell out of me. Yeah. It just made no sense. It made no sense at all. Especially with the history that we've established in the NWA TNA. Mm. So, uh, Sonny Siaki cuts a promo with his Elvis friends about how they were going to support the, the Jerry Lynn in his main event world title match against Ron Killing. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. Why? Why do you hate Sonny Siaki? I hate 
No, not Sonic Siakian specifically. I hate this whole, the X Division has to root <laughs> together against the real wrestlers because we have to prove ourselves. And they have never not done it. Mm-hmm. They've done it for like two decades. That's... The same story of like, look at these fake play wrestlers trying to step up to the real boys. Yeah, It's just annoying and it makes everyone look like shit and... Ugh. This might be the best they've done it, though. <laughs> they may have like peaked it the first time they did it, and then they should have just never done it ever since. Because at least uh, coming out of this feud, the X Division champion did beat the world champion. Yeah. But it's like, every time, it's just like, oh, all the teenagers are teaming up against the adults. <laughs> it does have that vibe, doesn't it? Look at these kids. And then like, half the kids still hate each other while they're doing it. Well, the entire point of the Siaki promo was he's like, we're going to support Jerry Lynn, and then he screws them, so... <laughs> Yeah, well, that one I'm fine with. I meant more like, you know, the Kid Cash angle and then the Styles was still being a weird pervert. The whole thing. Styles is very... Particularly in the second show, there's that AJ Styles oh, we'll get to Oh, we'll get to the Styles a bit. Oh, boy. There's a ton of Goldilocks on these shows as well. It's like, there's... Going back to backstage interviews after every single segment. So What's Goldilocks doing? Goldie is the, the biggest star on these shows, apparently. Yeah, but what's she doing in 2021? I don't know. Interviewing people? I hope so. Goldie, if you're out there, hope you're doing well. Uh, which brings us to our opening match. AJ Styles defeated Kid Cash in a really fun little X-Division match. I really enjoyed this. I I, really, I like Kid Cash. And it, he did some cool, stupid shit in this match. Yeah, he's like just doing double springboard ranas and running tornado TTTs and cool dives. He's a cool wrestler. Yeah, and and yeah, and he was smooth as hell on this show too. Yeah, I was about to say that that's the thing that kind of differentiated himself, even from like the Lokis and the Amazing Reds, who are like spectacular in a way, but they don't have like that just sheer level of polish that Kid Cash has. And it's it's so fun to watch Kid Cash just nail all his shit and be like the best wrestler on this show without ever being pushed. Mm. Uh, yeah, and the problem is like he doesn't really get his push until like he returns in twenty eleven to twenty fourteen. I forgot where. No, it was. he gets an X Division title push. You you don't judge this. Oh, no, I don't know. I know nothing. Uh, your favourite wrestler returns, Marcus Bagwell. <laughs> I mean, and then he kind of fucks off again immediately after. Yeah, so. I'm pretty sure he, he does. he's not brought back again after this until, like, 2003. I think he does, like, a gauntlet or something, and then he does the Sting Let's Make a Deal thing in 2006. But it is fun. It's like, we're bringing back Marcus Bagwell for this big story. You say things like, he does the Sting Let's Make a Deal <laughs> thing in 2006, as if I know what the fuck you're talking it's about. It's just to lay the seed, so when we get to the Sting Let's Make a Deal thing in 2006, <laughs> so you'll be like, oh, that's what you were talking about. You just you, you say it as if, oh, everyone knows the, the thing I'm referencing. Yeah, everyone does the, the Sting Deal or No Deal parody he did with Jeff Jarrett in 2006. Come on. Everyone knows. But yeah, uh, Marcus Bagwell is back. He's teaming with BG James on this show and the gauntlet for the gold, the crown new tag team champions after Styles and Lynn were stripped of the tag team titles. Um, it's a very strange, weird team of Buff Bagwell and Road Dog, but we'll allow it. Buff Dog. <laughs> yeah, because like, they did the story where he's like, I'm not Buff anymore, I'm Marcus, and then he disappeared. And then he comes back here and it's like, I'm... And then he came back and he's Buff. No, he's, st- he's still Marcus here. He's still like, I'm still Marcus. I'm still sad. But then he disappears again. And he also completely betrays the character by doing exactly what he said he wouldn't do in the match. <laughs> yes. He does all his buff stuff. He does all his posing and, uh, as Ed Ferrara would say, hot-dogging. And Grandstanding. He, he's still buff. He can't escape the buff. That's his, his, his woe. It's like a curse placed <laughs> on somebody. It's just like, you cannot not be buff. He's too buff. You should pass on the buff curse to somebody. Yeah. And they too will be bizarrely muscular, but in a weirdly shaped way. Uh, Rob Terry. No, he's just bizarrely muscular, to be fair. Buff Terry. <laughs> Buffy T. 
<laughs> with Robbie E. That's what that's what his name should have been. Everyone's favorite Saved by the Bell star, Dustin Diamond, better known as Screech and Saved by the Bell showed up. I mean, who gives a single shit about this? There is a quote before this show where Jarrett's like, we got some big Hollywood stars showing up. And to be fair, there is a bigger one coming in later months. But Dustin Diamond's not a big Hollywood star. No, I didn't know who he was. <laughs> you, how do you not know who Dustin Diamond is? How do you not know who Screech is? Saved by the Bell isn't a thing here. But like, never? No, it's never been a thing here. But it was revived. Okay. To be fair, yeah, Saved by the Bell went off the air in 93, which you weren't even born. So. Like, not even close. I still don't know how you don't, like, you don't recognize Screech. That That's wild to me, that you don't, like, recognize him. I don't, I didn't even know what a Screech was. <laughs> it's a terrible name. Yeah, it is not a great name. But why do you hate Saved by the Bell? What do you have against it? Who, who gives a shit? <laughs> who cares about fucking Saved by the Bell? Mario Lopez. I mean, congrats. I like Mario Lopez. So there, the, and you didn't know where Mario Lopez came from? No, he was the E guy. Oh. Oh. And then he like, smoked weed and, and did commentary on the th- Triller show. Well, there you are. That's Mario Lopez's career. That's all I know. Oh, and no, and he's like, he was, isn't he like the, the, he's in the KFC thing, right? Is he? <laughs> yeah, isn't he like the colonel in the KFC thing? I don't, I don't know. Like in their like upcoming movie thing that they're doing. Oh, is he? I think so. He's like a TV special d- dude. I think that would be very strange. Uh, maybe I'm making this up, but I hope not. <laughs> Just imagining these things. Yeah. Anyway, who gives a fuck about this? Uh, yeah. Screech defeated Tiny the Bellkeeper in a boxing match. Tiny took it. That was a ter- It was a terrible worked punch. The crowd ate it up. Like ate. Like did, sorry, didn't eat it up. We're like that was fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, Screech isn't a natural worker. <laughs> Or anything. Because he was doing celebrity boxing at this stage, which is the reason they did the boxing skit. And even then, surely he should have learned how to throw a punch while doing celebrity boxing. Tiny should have sh- fucking shot on him. Tiny would probably beat the shit out of him. Tiny looks like... Yeah, he looks like he fucking would. Tiny is one of those guys who's like quiet and you're like, ah, oh, Tiny, I can pick on him. And then you pick on him and he beats the shit out of you. This scratch fellow doesn't even look tough at all. He just looks like a dude. He looks like fucking Shaggy from fucking <laughs> Scooby-Doo. <laughs> the scratch fellow. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's called. Uh, uh, yeah, him being to be fair, Tiny also doesn't look particularly menacing. So, yeah, I mean, but Tiny at least has a bit of oomph behind him. I feel like he'd push over this Dustin. So there's Liam being forced to be introduced to Screech. Yeah, whatever. Go to the cool debut. Jimmy Rave and Derek Wilde. <laughs> That's yeah. the one you're talking about, right? Yes, of course. Oh, let's talk about the fucking hot shots for a second. These fucking morons. Yep. Go on backstage. Putting their fucking spot up in the tournament on the line for literally no reason, mm-hmm. and then losing it like a bunch of idiots. Awful people. <laughs> Just bad, dumb idiots. The way this match is structured, it's a three-way match between the the Hotshots, Cassie Riley and Chase Stevens, Jimmy Rave and Derek Wilde, and the debuting CM Punk and A Steel. CM Punk in the news lately. For what reason? Um, there's no reason at all at the moment. <laughs> Just the idea of himself sent 10,000 tickets, I believe. Over 10,000 at this point. The scent on the wind of CM Punk sells over 10,000 tickets. I hope it's an Ace Steel debut. Yeah, or it's or just Punk and Steel. I'll take them together. Hey, why not? Well, as we saw on the the Patreon live watch, <laughs> the first person I noticed was Ace Steel. And then Liam was very excited to see CM Punk. Yeah, yeah because Punk's cool. So yeah, as we were mentioning, this match is formatted so that the person who is pinned is eliminated from 
the tag team got him for the gold. So two teams will go through, one team will go out, and yeah, as you mentioned, the hot shots were pinned and went out like a bunch of nerds. You know they should have done? Not done this match. The person who was pinched should have got removed from the match, but their partner should have been allowed in it still. Oh. So they could still win it for him. Battle against all odds. Yeah. There was a bunch of interviews about the tag team title uh, gotten for the gold. AMW had an interview where Storm or Harris is like, listen, you're a great wrestler, Storm, but you got to do it tonight because I hate your cowboy shtick. But, but respects him as a wrestler. That's always been the important thing. He's always thinks he's been a great wrestler, just hates the shtick. Mm. There's also a Hall and uh, Six Pack interview where they came to the ring. They talked about, and it's actually fun to see them like reminisce about their one, two, three kid and Razor Ramon days. It's like, it's it's weird weird to see like nostalgia for that in nineteen or two thousand two. But obviously, it makes a lot of sense. Also, it's like refreshing to have them be nostalgic about that instead of the fucking NWO. It is to go back to like the the early WWF and be nostalgic about that instead of well, not early WWF, early nineties WWF. WWF existed much earlier. Early, than that. The fir- when, when the WWF first formed in nineteen. 19- when you had your big uh, Scott Hall and, and Sean Waltman matches. But yeah, it's, it's fun to have that kind of nostalgia. Ron Harris and Brian Lee tried to attack him, but they were laid out. And there was a cool um, freaking Razor's Edge on Brian Lee. I like Brian Lee. Brian Lee's getting over with me. I don't like his friends, though. He does associate himself with horrible people. He should he should stop doing that. He should associate himself with a different kind of horrible person, the demonic cult. Of course. Um... <laughs> Hermie Sadler is back. How do you feel about the return of NASCAR? He had a cool DX hat. Yeah, so Hermie Sadler comes to the ring. He's a TNA sponsoring a car in one of his upcoming races. Bruce does his female fan shtick. He beats the fan. Or he's going to attack the fan after the match. And then Hermie makes the save as the valiant hero Hermie Sadler beating up I Bruce. I hate Hermie. And I hate NASCAR. And I hate it all. Get it off my screen. Bruce is the only good person in this. Uh, at least Bruce continues to get booked through the, the reboot. Mm. He's the women's champion, so... <laughs> that is true. He is technically women's champion. <laughs> I am... Like, I want... I don't know how I want to phrase this. <laughs> but, like, there's some, like, not-so-nuanced, like, gender politics going on with Bruce. And I'm just... I, I want to make sure that I'm, in, I'm on the right perspective of it. Because, like, he does refer to himself as a woman multiple times. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's never, like, acknowledged beyond, like, that. So, I'm, I, like, I legitimately don't know how to handle the character from that way. Like, I don't know. Because, like, is the heat supposed to be that, like, it's not genuine? <laughs> or is the heat supposed to be that... That it's that just that, yes. you know what I mean? And I think the heat is supposed to be it's just that. So, like, I don't know. What pronouns should I be using for Bruce? And I don't even mean that in a joking way. I mean, like, legitimately. <laughs> But, like, this is 2002. That's not a thing they were even thinking about at that stage. Yeah. But, like, it's uh, that's the thing when you're coming back with 2021 eyes yeah. on a 2002 product. You're like... Because that would be something I'd be very courteous and cautious of now, you know? And this is, this is a character they could not do this way now for so many reasons. Yeah. It's just... It's an interesting look through the... Through the looking glass, as they say. Hmm. Imagine if you tried to bring up that conversation to, like, Jerry Jarrett in 2002. It's like, yeah. so we need to talk about his pronouns, Jerry. It's like, yeah. excuse me, what? And, and and also, is this a good representation, you know? And that's just not a thing they're considering. No, definitely not at the time. Then we got a terrible, boring gauntlet for the gold that I hated. Yep, so the teams in the tag team gauntlet for the gold were Scott Hall and Sean Waltman, the SATs, Jimmy Rave and Derek Wilde, uh, Jorge Estrada and Sonny Siaki, Cobain and Slash, CM Punk and Ace Steel, uh, Brian Lawler and Disco Inferno. <laughs> Shudder. Uh, Bob Bagwell and BG James. Uh, Don. Ron? Don? It's Ron. It's Don. It's Ron. Ron. Yeah, it's Ron. Ron Harris and Brian Lee and 
James Storm and Chris Harris. Yeah, it was a very long, boring match with a lot of not particularly interesting wrestlers in it. It was just it was fun to see the SATs in there with like Scott Hall. <laughs> yeah, Scott Hall working with the Maximals. Yeah, that was a good time. Yeah. And I think Sean Walton was probably the best worker in the match. He's been great in everything he's been in. He's a really good wrestler. Yeah. But the right team won. That's all you can ask for. Chris Harris and Brian Lee were the final two, which meant they came down to the match between America's Most Wanted and Harris and Lee, which AMW won to become the second ever tag team champions of the TNA era. It was actually a really good little um, week-to-week storybooking from Jerry. Because it was definitely Jerry that booked that. <laughs> all the good stuff is Jerry. All the bad stuff is Russo. That's canon. And the middling stuff is Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next week, I am a sick of this uh, Harrison Storm against Harrison Lee feud because they go back to it again for a tables match. But here, yeah, it's a fine little like three-week story where they do the angle where they win. They beat them up. They get them into the match and then they win the match. AMW's still not cool, though. No, they're because they're still doing the I hate you, they're still doing the cowboy stuff, and they do eventually just become a cool southern tag team that are the best team in the company. We see what they, they feel like now is, like, the bad times of beer money, mm. when they were, like, too jokey. And, like, there's, there's a period where I think the crowd are almost on the verge of rejecting them, I think, at points, but then slowly yeah. come to embrace them. I'm looking forward to... I'm, I, I legitimately... One of the things, you know, coming into this, I'm very excited actually having a base of knowledge about America's Most Wanted. And, like, it does go back to the problem that we mentioned, that, like, AMW, one, they're very unlikable because they can never get along. But, two, like, there, there was stretches where they just disappeared. It's not like they were featured acts the entire time. There's just weeks where they're Seems not Seems to be there. the James Storm theory, huh? Yeah. He just, like, like, fucks off TV for four months at a time. <laughs> I believe that's the Fiend theory. Jared also attacks BJ James, leaves him bloody. Who cares? <laughs> there's a fun note that BG James left the building wearing the bloody rag he wore after the attack in hopes of selling the local fans on the injury so he's a true worker I'm sure it would have worked for a couple of people mm. he's like oh yeah, BG's really hurt yeah like why else would he wear that gross towel on the way mm. <laughs> which brings us to our main event in, Ron, in which Ron Killing has defeated Jerry Lynn with the NWA world title on the I, w- I will say I think they did these matches backwards yeah, but I understand it was champion versus champion. They wanted that to go on last. No, I, I mean the, the Lynn and Killings matches backwards. Oh, they should have had Lynn beat Killings the first week and then lose to him in the... Yeah, it should have been the X title match that Lynn wins the first week and then he gets the world title shot because he beat Killings. Because here, why yeah. is Jerry Lynn getting a world title shot? Because he's... Well, to be fair, this is this, there is a precedent to be set of just random dudes winning, like getting shots too. So it's like that's true. But if you're gonna ba- like, they decided to book back to back killings and Lynn matches. They should have done them the other way around. This is where he should have won, and then the Probably. next week is yeah. where they should have cost them the match. But yeah, killings won. There was a big brawl after the match between uh, killings BG James. There was a little interaction between Ron Killings and BG James, where like a BG didn't immediately embrace Ron, so Ron attacked him. <laughs> Hmm. Ron is like, we used to be friends, but yeah. you didn't. He, he like he was he was he was gonna admit it. it was like, oh man, that's my friend, and then he just like walked past. He's like, oh, fuck you, man. <laughs> just jumped him, because Ron is back to being a heel, which I think he was a baby face toward the end of last month. Yeah, well, like, heels and faces don't count here, man. Uh, in an interview on the Get in the Ring radio show, uh, when he was asked, "Are is you a baby face or a heel?" Ron Killings replied, "I don't know what the hell I am now." Yeah. So Ron didn't know whether it was a face or a You can say that about, like, 70% of the people on this show. Yeah, they literally jump at any given moment in any different segment. It's just uh, no consistency whatsoever. Mm. But, yeah, that's NWA TNA pay-per-view number 13. I think it's it's an okay show. It does feel like a reboot. It does feel like 
they're trying something new. They're, they're well, not really new. They're, they're it is kind of more of the same in terms of like the, the the kind of product they're presenting. But it does feel there's like a sturdiness to this show, and a lack of like I don't know horrible panic because they're running out of money to this show that that didn't feel like was there in August. Jeff looked noticeably better. <laughs> so he's relieved. You're you're happy with Jeff. Well, I think he th- he has an inkling that money's coming in. And he's not. He actually wasn't on the show a ton either. Yeah. He's probably too busy fucking running deals. Yeah, on the phone with freaking Health South and Panda the entire day during the show and schmoozing. Yeah. He's just he's just like next to Janice Carter all night just being like, oh, Janice, this yeah. is great, isn't it? You're having a good time, right, Janice? 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 Say you're having a good time, Janice. He has to listen to fucking Vincent's terrible fucking ideas all day. So. <laughs> his dad gets furious at the ideas and then he has to make peace between his dad and Vince while negotiating this horrible de- the heat deal between Panda and Health South. And also having to wrestle. Well, he didn't wrestle on the show, but he was a. He had angles on this show. Mm. Fun time for Jeff Jarrett. And like, there's an interesting note that there's a few weeks in uh, August where he didn't get paid because Jarrett's being paid as a wrestler and also obviously as a as an owner. And he went weeks without being paid. And Jer- Jerry's like, "Oh, that can't happen." So, I I assume Jeff's probably getting paid again, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, good for him. Yeah, as owner and being paid to be a wrestler. Jeff Jarrett stays winning. Yeah, there was the discussion that the voices of wrestling slack about the degree to which Jeff Jarrett stays winning, and the, the the consensus at the end was he had to lose a lot in order to win as much as he does, which makes him a working man, you know, working man's champ. He is truly a man who can get himself another opportunity after losing his current opportunity. Mm. So that brings us to NWA TNA pay-per-view number fourteen, September twenty fifth, two thousand two, in the TNA Asylum. Thirteen hundred people there, even though it was papered. So that's the best crowd in the Asylum, and I think maybe ever, at least in a few weeks. It felt like a big show. Yeah, and like I want—I don't even know why, because I'm looking at the show and there's not. I mean, no, it's the big Jarrett and BG match, I guess, is the, the big one there, getting people in the door. People doorway. hanging from the rafters for that one. Oh boy! So the show opens with a big brawl between Sonny Siaki and Jerry Lynn, because Siaki cost Lynn the match against Killings the week prior, as we mentioned. So they are, are feuding. That's an X Division title feud, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose it is. Siaki is now, by the way, full non-Elvis. He's he looks so much cooler as well. He's wearing like regular gear, he's abandoned all the Elvis stuff and he's just Sonny Siaki. Well we'll see how he abandons the Elvis stuff later on. Mm. So Siaki defeated the amazing red, despite being jumped by Jerry Lynn before the match. Poor, poor red being squashed. But uh, a nice little match. I don't really remember a lot about it to be honest. It was a good but... little open I enjoy Siaki. As I said, there's very little I enjoy more than uh power juniors against small guys. And then Oh so, yeah 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 the, that was fun. And then some Red's you know, Red's always fun to see too. He is. I like how um, much of a loose cannon Lynn feels at this point. Mm. Like, because um, not even just from the Siaki thing, but, you know, spearing AJ out of his fucking boots at every opportunity, to attacking people backstage, dropping them on their head, all that kind of stuff. And it is interesting, like, that's a character for Jerry. Like, Jerry Lynn is normally considered a little, like, timid and plain and, and laid back and kind of not a particularly dynamic character. And yeah, on these DNA shows, he's just beating the hell out of anybody that wrongs him. Yeah, which is, like, a cool Jerry Lynn character choice. I was actually um talking about it today, but um, it's interesting to see how heavily featured Lynn was at this time for someone that I never really considered a TNA guy. And it's interest- And that's a good misconception, I guess, in my head that... Uh, has evaporated over this time period is because, like, Lynn has been a major focus of this show. He is one of the two first champions. He, I think he's probably main-evented more episodes than anybody else. Mm. He's certainly up there. So, yeah, Lynn is a is a big featured act in the early days of TNA. Which is something I don't think really gets played up a lot. I, I think a big reason was, like, he's obviously one of the most experienced guys in the company, but he's also good. You know, like, yeah. like there's a lot of people who have experience and aren't particularly good. 
as opposed to Lin, who's like a great wrestler, and you can put him in the ring with anybody, and he'll have a good match with them, because that's what he can do. I was going to say, he also is really good at bringing good talent up as well. Mm. So, like, when he's in there with an AJ or a Loki, he's really good at, like, bringing those guys up to being their best possible at that moment, you know? Even probably Ron Killings to an extent. Yes, because I, I really like these Killings matches. Uh, after the match, Jorge Estrada came out and demanded that Sonny Siaki return his Elvis costume. And, uh... We'll see if he uh, he agrees. Yeah, because he's abandoned the Elvis ways. He no longer loves all of the Elvis things. What's your favorite Elvis song, Is Liam? Yang still an Elvis? Uh, he is, but he's too busy in Japan, so... Um, blue suede shoes. Is that actually your favorite Elvis song? It's the first one I could name. Are you not an Elvis fan? I know, well, I have. I'm a big fan of Suspicious one. Minds, but I think it's Lilo and Stitch's fault. Or... I don't I don't know any of this shit. How do you... So you don't know Screech, you don't know Elvis... What do you, you know? I know who Elvis is. You're just like, I've never heard of Elvis before. I just thought he was a character on NWA TNA played by Jimmy Yang. Is he not? Yeah, I guess he is technically, yes. <laughs> One of the more recent adaptions. Uh, in a few that cannot end, but I think this is the end. But thankfully, I, 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 this was the, as I said, this is the point at which I'm just sick of seeing Harrison Storm against Brian Lee and, and Ron Harris. And yeah, they have a tag title tables match. Jimmy Harris's. There is, and, and like uh, Mike tonight mentions, he's just like, oh, Harris against Harris, Chris against Ron, ooh. And then Don comes out at the end, so there was all the Harrises in this segment. Uh, Lee is knocked through a table, they attack them after the match before Don Harris comes out and breaks it up and gets face-to-face with his brother Ron, we're doing a Harris Brothers program. If these guys weren't both alleged Nazis, I would be into this. <laughs> just big guys hitting each other? Yeah, and like, I'm, I'm a sucker for some brother v brother stuff, you know? So we go backstage to, I think, my favourite pre-tape in the history of TNA. <laughs> Where Bruce pulls up the building into a parking space, gets out of the car and he's about to have an interview, before Sarah, the ticket lady, is like, hey, you cut me off. This is my parking space. You saw me there. And Bruce is like, no idea what you're talking about. Mm. And then they had a fun interaction. Yeah, Sarah slapped him. Slapped him twice. The first one was a little meh. The second one, she laid it in. And then they had, like, a pull-apart. The security separate. Like, Sarah and Bruce is the hottest feud in the show. Yeah. I do like, they're like, eh, let's put the ticket lady. Let's make her a character on the show. She's fun. I like Sarah. Yeah, later in the show, weirdly, like, this, yeah. I have no idea why this segment is cut off Impact Plus. I, my guess mm-hmm. is that there was a chant at one point that was maybe even a little much. What was it? <laughs> even compared to the other one. I don't want to say it. Oh, I don't think I noticed it. <laughs> I think there was a little one, and then there was... There was a, in response, there was a little uh, miming of an action from Bruce. Oh. So I think, I think maybe that could have been it, but like, it feels like a stretch compared to like the other things that they've shown on this show, but you know. Yeah. Cause like Bruce comes to the ring, he's doing his routine where he's like, I'm the best fighter and woman. Then Sarah comes out and like wants to fight him, but they don't let her. They should have let her, yeah. but. Uh, they, well, she wouldn't sign the paper. <laughs> That's true. She wouldn't sign, she wouldn't clear herself of all of um, uh, legal uh, consequences of whatever Bruce may do to I'm her. I'm so curious as to what the payoff is for this is. <laughs> it's TNA, Liam. <laughs> oh, is there no payoff to this? Like, like, there's a sign in the show that has, like, some homophobia that's blurred, which makes sense. There's like... some weird signs. Oh, we got to talk about the signs on this show. Sure, talk about your virgins and Chad signs. <laughs> yes, I ca- in a truly remarkable effort, TNA Chad has been combated by <laughs> TNA Virgin. <laughs> The TNA Chads versus the TNA versions is a real thing that actually came out of this. I am so astounded by this. Also, seemingly, that TNA Virgin was sitting next to members of the TNA Chad gang because there was a TNA Chad sign right next to them as well. So are you saying that the, this is literally 
a, a crowd feud. Gang wars in the middle of the crowd. I think it's a crowd feud perpetuated by friends. Right. I think it's a work. Are you saying all this Chad stuff that we've invested in, all of it is, is fraudulent? I'm saying Chad himself is a remarkable worker. Oh. And now he has brought in his friends in an attempt to get everyone over. That's that's good. That's generous of Chad. That he's willing to be called mm. a virgin on, on, I was going to say national television, but kind of national television. <laughs> national in inverted commas for the 10,000 people watching this show. But he's willing to get his friends over. Not to mention the budding love story we saw throughout NWA TNA PPV 13. Oh, where Chad has a lady friend making signs with them. He has a lady friend and they're making signs together. Mm. Which is, I assume, like... The furthest you can get with Chad, considering signs are his life. That's true. That's like a that's a deep emotional connection to have. So, and there was scissors because like he cut a hole in one of the signs and he was making it during the time, so he clearly had scissors on him. <laughs> this is a it's a weird dynamic to the TNA Chad storyline, but I'm looking forward to seeing how it progresses. Probably will have a natural conclusion, unlike anything else on this show you know where there's the know your meme page where it's like they explain all the memes mm. do you think we'd be able to actually sell somebody on editing that the the chad versus virgin meme as like originating it's from tna literally the first time i've ever seen it in real life so this is where it came from we're making it canonical technically yes if you can provide a case of chad versus version from before september 18 2002 i'll listen to it <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to try and... I'm actually... I'm not sure is that like an editable page or is it like editorial or does someone control it? But if it can be edited, I'm going to put in mention of the chat. <laughs> yeah, but we have... I have both the photos of the signs, so... You do have proof. Well, it's documented. <laughs> Back to wherever we were on the show. Oh, yeah, BG James... So Ron Killings comes out and he cuts his uh, Racism is Bad promo again where he's back to being a heel by calling out prejudice. Boo! I at least do like the touch that, like... Ricky Steamboat disappeared right after giving Killings his title shot, and he is like, why'd that happen? Why'd they stop bringing Ricky Steamboat here once he gave me a title shot, huh? Yeah, he's not wrong. <laughs> Fucking Ricky just gone now. It was a nice little uh, narrative bow to put on that, even though Ricky doesn't really appear anymore. So, But they made it make sense. So that's all you can ask for, it, isn't it? I mean, it's better than not explaining it. Killings is like, I have no merchandise. Ken Shamrock had a private dressing room, but I don't. What the hell's going on? Before... <laughs> Quote unquote, voice of reason. BG James comes out. Listen, if there's one thing I want to hear about, it's BG James's takes on race. Yeah, I think BG James has a bunch of nuanced and interesting perspectives on systemic racism. And also the character. Mm. <laughs> it ended with them uh, fighting. They don't get along. The old, the old um, getting rowdy aren't pals anymore. Get rowdy. So See, it's a, it's a, it's a multi-generational... Uh, student teacher thing going on with jeff the roadie and k quick teaching him how the world works hmm. uh, we go backstage to brian lawler with april his girlfriend where he's gaslighting her and telling her to stand still and not be doing anything and it's uh, <laughs> what a good story it's a story that's for sure <laughs> aj styles defeated loki in a two to three falls match which you gave a staggeringly high rating to so four stars i only gave it i gave it a gentleman's three so tell me about why you liked it i really i loved um aj in this mm -hmm. 
AJ's little character things, he's like got his cockiness in full blown, the mimicking of key strikes and doing the big kicks on it, and just, you know, really good X Division action. I really like this one. I believe this is like one of the best matches in TNA history, according to you. Yeah, but to be fair, there's been like three good matches in TNA history, so. All of them involving AJ Styles and Loki, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the Dups were also there. Oh, yeah, the Dups do have a, a five-star match. That's true. A four-star match. Thank you. I'm um, sorry. I, I'm the accurate star rater on this podcast. You are the curmudgeon star rater. We we actually know that that's not true. Have we seen your ratings? You are the hater, whereas I am the accurate star rater. He says at my four-star rated Styles low-key match. Yeah, and I want to give it to the end of the street. Yeah, I thought this match was fine. The effort was there, but I didn't think it was like particularly blow away or anything. I, you know what? The, the one thing that I was a little disappointed about was it already feels like they're cycling down Loki again mm. and I don't like that because he was actually getting over to a meaningful level and as they said during the match they're like again I'm, I can only go with my predictions and such of what I've seen from the show so this make this could be fucking wrong on the next show <laughs> but they said in the match that like whoever loses this match would end up going down to the bottom of the rankings because like they've, they've each had their chances and this is their last shot at it basically so it seems like Key is being cycled down for now yeah, but TNA can only stick to stipulations like that for like a, a week, so they'll get notions and push them again. Again, I'm watching as if I watched this week of TV in September 25th, 2002. Which is the way you were actually watching it, so it does make sense. Yeah. You were not just being obtuse. So, no, I can, I, can only, I can only talk about what I've seen, because I don't know what else happened. Your ignorance is authentic. Yeah, well that's the, that's the whole shtick, isn't it? Mm. You're the TNA Chad and I'm the TNA version. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett's upset about not getting a title shot. He's still moaning about it. Just give this man a fucking title shot already. Jesus. Just so he shuts up about it. And technically he has had a title shot. That's what Gauntlet for the Gold was. Get over it, Jeff. You lost. Yeah, but remember, he didn't even want to do that at first. So at least he's consistent. (laughs) Scott Hall and Six Box defeated Elix Skipper and Brian Lawler, who are teaming together for reasons that don't make sense, but we explained them earlier. Uh, it was a nice little match. I, again, I, I enjoy Hall. I think he looks very good. And like Sean Waltman is the best wrestler on any of these shows. So Also, having him in there with Park is good. Because like, Park can do some more wrestling. I hate the six Park name. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I don't I don't care. Just call him Sean Waltman. It's fine. Just call him Six. <sighs> or Park. Just call him Park. The man that Gravity forgot. I do believe Gravity did forget Sean Waltman. I like Sean Waltman. I'm also glad he got his shit together. Like... In real life. Yeah, because like, the, the entirety of his TNA runs is basically him getting opportunities and him blowing them. So, Because yeah. like, there's a quote after, like in PW Tour, Sean Waltman told friends that he is in for the long haul with TNA, which, spoiler alert, he wasn't. But Well, he probably like thought he was at the time, to be fair. Mm. And they probably thought he was too. And just It just didn't work out that way. But, you know, we'll probably get some cool park matches. We do. We get a lot of them in, in October. You can look forward to them next month. I am looking forward to them. AJ Styles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Weird sex pervert? I have no idea what he's doing. So he's backstage in an interview with Goldilocks, where he's challenging... I'm going to post the gif right now to the Twitter, because I posted it on mine, but I'm going to post it... I'll, I'll, I'll probably... I'll cut the video out as well, just because it's... You, it has to be seen. It's it's remarkable. So he twerks. He does. He's, he throws that ass in a circle. I deleted the gift, damn it. TNA invented twerking and TNA invented the Chad and Virgin meme. So TNA is very on top of things with their ahead of their time trends. But like he's doing this interview about how he's challenging Lo or Jerry Lynn to a ladder match next week for the X Division title. And he, as you said, he's like gyrating and he's like weirdly dancing, dancing and kind of 
like sniffing and Goldie. Ryan and sniffing Goldie. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but like he's like, when he does like his weird twerk thing, he also just looks like a horse. Mm. What I think is actually happening here is AJ Styles has probably been accused of being like bland and too like boring oh, as a performer. I'll t- yeah, I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was fucking Vince Russo. <laughs> It was Vince Russo going, hey, AJ, we need you to be a thing. Yeah, and, like, he doesn't really have a character as a heel other than just, like, a douche, which is enough. He's a cocky jerk. That's all you need. You don't need him to be, like, a weird sex pervert. I love this, like, tonal thing that's, like, every time we say the word pervert, we have to say sex pervert specifically. (laughs) As opposed to the different kind of pervert. Like, I think I gotta give a shout out to, like, Chuck Taylor and Trent for, like, permanently changing my vernacular. Because I cannot call someone a pervert. It's either a sex pervert or a straight-up pervert. Or, to be fair, there's also knife pervert. The knife pervert, too. But that's a a classic one at this point, eh? But, yeah, like, I, I do think this is just AJ being like, I need to show charisma... And this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, but you know it's because someone went up to him and said, hey, I need you to show more charisma. And I know who that person is with Vince Dambrose. <laughs> so the crux of it is that there will be a ladder match next week between AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn. It, it's very typical of TNA. It's like the Styles, Lynn and Loki match got a ton of love and a ton of hype. So they're just going to do ladder matches until the end of time. I think there's two in October. And they did already do the <laughs> Shamrock against Sabu ladder match. So there's like four ladder matches in TNA history already. I mean, I like the ladder stuff though, so I'm fine with it. Yeah, ladder matches every week. You get a ladder match. And you get a ladder match. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at the Irish uh, Olympic gold telly. Oh, uh, we have one. You have one gold and two bronze? Yeah. Well, uh, to be fair, I think the bronze is a tent. No, one bronze and then two totals. What you got? No, we do have a bronze, but it's it's not cemented yet. It's a boxer who's in a semi-final fight, so he has a guaranteed bronze, but he could win more. Oh, well, I hope he I hope he gets gold because I don't think we're in it. Uh, we had the Bruce and Sarah segment. Uh, we had Jorge Estrada defeating Kid Cash, and what I, I actually thought was a bit of an Fun upset. Match. Um, well, they're clearly going into something with. Him and Siaki. Yeah, so they have to push order. I feel like Estrada's never won, but I really like this match. That was a banger. Yeah, it was a nice little match. I preferred the AJ match, but I thought this. What did I think of this match? I obviously preferred the AJ match. Mm. Oh, you meant the AJ Cash match? Yeah. Yes, I I like. I prefer. I still prefer that one too. But I thought you meant the AJ Key, and I'm like, yeah, well. Uh, Important story development here was Sonny Siaki throwing the Elvis suit in the trash and almost legitimately setting Goldie on fire. Like, way too close to that fucking bin. Goldie should get hazardous duty pay every single week on these shows. Like, those motherfuckers clearly put petrol in that shit, because that shit, like, went up. Mm. And, like, you could hear her genuine reaction at almost being burnt. <laughs> that adds to the authenticity of the performance, Liam. That was Yes, because it was legitimate. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, Estrada and, and Siaki is a feud that will continue. Speaking of feuds that continue, Jerry Lynn defeated Ron Killings in an X Division title lumberjack match. The favorite, my favorite thing being Jerry Borash accidentally introduced Ron Killings as the reigning and defending NWA world mm. champion. And Mike Tanay immediately like, no, 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 this is only a match for the X Division title. That's why he didn't come up with the belt. I'm pretty sure, legally speaking, by being introduced as reigning and defending, that means Jerry Lynn should be NWA champion now and he was screwed. The new linear... NWA TNA champion. Um, he he might be. We haven't been keeping track of that, but I feel like the champion's already been pinned on one of these shows. NWA world champ? Probably not. Shamrock never lost. Killings? I suppose not, yeah. So I think this is the, this is the first split between the linear champion and the actual champion. Hmm. But yeah, nice little match. Uh, Jerry Lynn bled a bunch the week before and didn't lead any here, so that's good. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Lynn's getting, like, over-over, though. He's getting, he's getting signs in the crowd now. Yeah, because he's, like, the most pushed act on the show. And they finally decided he's a babyface. Hmm. Well, they decided that around, like, a month ago, to be fair. But it was a tumultuous month before that, even. Mm. They finally settled on who he actually is. 
And then our main event, a match straight out of like 1995 WWF. BG James defeated Jeff Dart by DQ when Skipper interfered. Then we had a big schmoz or the stable, quote unquote, of Jarrett, Skipper and Brian Lawler. Jarrett and Lawler, who are apparently friends now, despite Lawler trying to kill him for a month. Um, because he explained it away, that it wasn't him. Yeah. So And then Lawler's just like, fine. <laughs> I believe you. Because he said we're friends since we were kids. That's true. He did invoke their childhood friendship to get Lawler to stop. And also, Eli Skipper's there. Also their friend, yes. Bizarre. I, um, I, I watched this, mm-hmm. but I don't remember anything about... <laughs> Yeah, it was just a generic the house show style main event that you will never remember anything about. And then Jarrett Skipper and Lawler left Hall Pack and BG Lane. That was the show. Mm. That show was the show. Somehow with two shows that we did, still almost hidden two hours on this. Yeah, we're on an hour 40 record time now. That'll be cut down and edit. But yeah, because we talked all about religion. You can't help yourself. You know what they say, there's uh, three topics you should always talk about mm-hmm. <laughs> when broadcasting. Religion, sex, 9-11. They're the important things you have to cover every single week on a, any given podcast. Wait, are you ready to see our takes on them next week, huh? Uh, well, in two weeks. Two weeks. This is every two weeks. Actually, no, we'll, we'll bring it up on Monday. <laughs> we'll, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring it forward. Uh, yeah, that's the show. That's NWATNA. In the month of September, it's a it's a fine month. As I said, it's kind of a rebuilding month. They're kind of just back to doing what they're trying to do. Rebuild. They're reclaim. What was the other one? <laughs> I don't know. What was Seth's thing? Rebuild, reclaim. Do you think I know Seth Rollins' catchphrases? Rebuild. <laughs> if you do it in the voice, it'll reclaim. come to you. Yeah. <laughs> um. Re. 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 <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for listening if you would like to support the show you can subscribe on Patreon at patreon.com slash kiddingme where as we mentioned you can see our show notes you can see our star ratings you can uh, listen to Monday War Games where we talk about the 2010 Monday War you can watch uh, redesign rebuild reclaim that's terrible Rollins go away (laughs) TNA you can redesign rebuild and reclaim your Patreon spot at patreon.com slash kiddingme can't do any of those you can follow us on Twitter at TNA History Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney. You can follow Liam on Twitter at The Gleet Muta. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks, covering October 2002. And goodbye. It's going to be a spooky episode because Halloween's in October. I would say you could wear a costume, but you know. I will. Good. I'll dress as 2002 AJ Styles. I'll dress as 2016 Seth Rollins. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> see you in two weeks, everybody. <laughs>